On today's episode of Uncommon Commander, I'm joined by MJ from the MTG and Quarantine podcast to talk about his first iteration of Renata Call to the Hunt, the things he's learned from making that deck, changes he'd make in the future, and using an Uncommon Commander as a stepping stone to move to the future. Welcome to another episode of Uncommon Commanders. I'm your host, Cole, also known as Eclipse Meteor, and today I'm joined by MJ from the MTG in Quarantine podcast. MJ, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right, Cole. How about you? I'm doing really good. Uh, I invited you on today to talk about uh, your only Uncommon Commander that you've made so far in your Commander history. If, is that correct? Yep, that's correct. All right. Um... I also heard that you had quite a bad time with it the first time around, and I thought we'd kind of consider what you did before and kind of think about what you do different this time around. All right. I mean, I suppose I could always rebuild this someday. So, yeah, let's definitely talk about that. All right. Uh, so, Renata... Um, oh, no. Where? Good start. Uh, Renata called to the hunt, uh, one of the demigods from Theros Beyond Death, She's a uh, she's a four mana uncommon commander. She's two and, and two green for a star and three. Uh, Renata's power is equal to your devotion to green, and each other creature you control enters the battlefield with an additional plus one counter on it. Uh, I think I think it's quite a interesting bag of tricks we got here, where you can have a really strong, uh, really powerful commander, which could die pretty easily, but also manages to pump your board as the game goes along. Mm-hmm. Um, so y you you built uh, a Renata last year at some point, and uh, you've had a bad you had a bad time with it. <laughs> I yeah, that would be putting it mildly. I think. Uh, what were one of the things that you felt like you didn't do enough, or maybe you focused too much on when you built her? Well, I think the biggest problem at the very beginning was I really didn't understand the whole point of interaction. Um, you know, Mono Green at that point in, in early 2020 wasn't anywhere near where I would say it is even now. So I, I think in the last year, year and a half, we received a lot of extremely broken green cards. And that's not to say that we didn't have those then when I built this deck. But the number of options I had available to myself as a budget builder with cards that I could easily find in my LGS or that I found in my previous LGSs didn't really instill a lot of confidence in really having a deck that would survive a single board wipe. I think that there was a lot of synergy in the deck. I was ensuring that there was a lot of plus one, plus one counters in there. Renato would allow me to add extra counters whenever my creatures hit the battlefield. And I was get creating large creatures who could do damage. But again, whenever someone wiped my board, there wasn't any way to deal with that. There was just heroic, things like heroic intervention were prohibitively expensive for me at the time. I, I wasn't willing to spend more than like $2 for a card at the time. And it, it just it just happened that the deck folded really quickly to removal. I didn't have a lot of ways to deal with things. And... As as such, I basically tore the deck apart and haven't looked back on it. 
Well, I'm glad that you you still agree to come on to chat about it as a as a hypothetical, you know. Sure, me- sure. I mean, it, it it was one of my, I wouldn't say it was one of my first decks, but it was certainly one of the first attempts at trying to actually make a synergistic deck, if that makes sense. Oh, I definitely understand. I mean, uh, I, a bit of a tangent. When I first started playing Magic, my first commander was Odric Master Tactician from the. Uh, Mm-hmm. core 2013 set and i'd only just started playing properly from about innistrad onward and i was like oh yeah mono white i got mono white cards like i'm good to go uh little did i realize that you know despite the synergy of playing low-cost creatures and wanting to trigger odric in a way where it was unblockable or it was still missing a lot of components that that real that nowadays I, I I would take for granted, like not not having access to removal, uh, ways to bring back my creatures or protect them. Like, oh man, it was it's brutal when you start out. Yeah, I I would think too that starting out with a monocolored deck, I believe it was the first time I'd ever tried doing that. So I didn't really have a very good understanding of trying to make up for green's weaknesses by adding its strengths so i was going all in on synergy but i wasn't trying to run much interaction and obviously green isn't the greatest at everything despite what people say there are a lot of places where i found that green doesn't really quite keep up in a lot of ways unless you spend 20 30 dollars on certain staple cards again heroic intervention would have been nice, but that was definitely creeping up towards $10, $15 at the time and was effectively out of my price range. So what gr- the answers Green had at the time were not available to me effectively. So I had to try to make things work with a very limited card pool. And as, just as a result, trying to play monocolored was a very difficult first attempt. I'm, I'm not going to lie. Nowadays, when I look at a monocolor build, I, can, I have a much better understanding of strengths, weaknesses. At the time, But at that time, since it was that first monocolor build, I saw some strengths, didn't quite understand the weaknesses, and that's really where this deck fell apart. Yeah, it uh, especially when you're working with a very strict budget, and like you said, a lot of the staples, like if you needed access to card draw, you're not going to always afford a, a beast within. If you want to get rid of something, you might have to rely on fight cards if you want to try to remove opponent's creatures. And, you know, off the top of my head, the only card that could be an equivalent to a heroic intervention would maybe be an inspiring call. And I think even at the time, it was still maybe a dollar or two at some point. I yeah I and and also I didn't have it in my collection. This just this happened to be at a point in my MTG playing career, I suppose, if you want to say it that way, that I didn't really know a lot of cards that existed. Um, my my understanding of the of the card pool was very limited. Obviously, I had seen some cards in playing EDH, but it was still one of those things where I was astounded by the number of cards that were out there. I, I didn't understand that Magic just has you know 30,000 cards in its history and that there would be a whole bunch of cards that would fit my exact strategy. That hadn't quite made sense. That, that was obviously back in the days when I was writing lists out on my phone when I was playing EDH trying to say, hey, that's a really cool card. Maybe I should look that up, see if that's at the local LGS and whatnot. So it was... It was definitely one of those phases where, had I seen it played, I probably would have picked it up, but you're right. There just weren't a lot of 
protection effects that I needed. I didn't really quite understand the nuances of the game. Things like hexproof would have been really nice, but again, we have to look at cost and also the fact that I didn't quite understand what the value of that was. So, you know, th- th- there there was just a lot of newness to the game, I suppose, and that's really sabotage this deck is just as well as just me trying to go all in on the synergy just because things said plus one plus one counter on them i effectively threw them in the deck so and away you yeah, go yeah there was yeah it was it, it definitely fit the theme i'm, I'm not going to say it didn't and i i did impress a few people that i was able to get a lot of counters on things but it's it's great to have counters on things but if they don't have trample that was a problem so again things you'll learn over time well, I think since since focusing on evasion, I think, and, and ways to protect your creatures, I think that's a good place to start. Um, in the last year, and even in a few years before that, uh, greens always had a few ways of granting evasion to creatures, uh, especially trample. Uh, all the way back, um, I want to say during Laurelwyn, if you look at Bramblewood Paragon, it's a one mana, or it's a two mana, one and a green for a two two elf warrior. Uh, each other warrior creature you control comes into play with additional plus one counter on it. Can synergize if you have some warriors, but the ne- the next ability I think is pretty important. Each creature you control with a plus one counter on it has trample. And luckily for for everyone, it's not the only one. Uh, Crown Saratok, it's a 4-mana 4-3 with Trample. Each creature control with a plus 1 counter on it has Trample. Uh, Duskshell Crawler, which was recently printed in Modern Horizons 2 when it enters the battlefield, put a plus 1 counter on target creature. Each creature you control with a plus 1 counter on it has Trample. Uh, I think there's a few more that possibly fall into that list, but there's there's some old and some new uh, Trample plus 1 counter interactions that can definitely make uh, a, a lack of a trample uh, trample enabler. Uh, these creatures kind of slot into that pretty effectively. Mm-hmm. And and just the fact that I didn't really understand the value of overrun type effects at the time. Oh too. yeah. So <laughs> that was another problem. I, I understood getting the creatures larger, pumping them, the the counters or anthem effects or whatnot, but trample didn't quite make sense to me especially since it wasn't stable to a creature so i mean i'm i'm not trying to say i was stupid but no i no, guess no, no. really knew just really didn't understand the value of evasive abilities at that time and 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 i, I definitely wouldn't say for any newer players uh the assessment of evergreen abilities back then like as a new player versus where we are now, mostly I, I would say mostly as a commander player personally, evasion in any kind, whether it comes to trample being unblockable, um, I'd say even on an odd occasion skulk maybe, but uh, flying especially like really important and really strong in a commander game, and 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 having that extra extra way to push damage through or really make blocking awkward like really makes the deck go a long way but again green doesn't have flying creatures so already i was trying to deal with the deck concept that you're missing one of the evergreen abilities you do understand and it's like i i i understood reach as a defensive tactic but as far as having flying 
green doesn't do that. So you, you kind of start seeing where, as a new player, there were severe limitations of my understanding of the game, and I built according to those limited un- that limited understanding. And obviously, that's why the deck didn't function the way I wanted it to. Yeah, it, it, when you do kind of look at the history of creatures that do happen to fly in in green, the the list is very small. It's either dragons that are too overcosted, or you're looking at birds of paradise, which you could put plus counter uh, plus one counters on. But even then, at the time, I'm pretty sure a copy of Birds of Paradise was no doubt out of your out of your price range. Oh yeah, I I, I was not gonna spend money on Birds of Paradise, but also because at that point you could just throw in Atlanta War Elves. It's a mono green deck. Yeah, um, you don't need to. Birds of Paradise is needed. <laughs> Um, you got stuff like Destructor Dragon, which is a six mana four four. Um, you have Foe Razor Regent, which does put plus one counters on stuff, but only if they fight. And you're probably not going to really lean in on fighting unless you absolutely had to. Um, there, there's a few other things like Hornet Nest, Hornet Queen, uh, Jugan the Rising Star. On on an odd occasion, a Majestic Miriarch, if if it's uh, combat ability triggers and you have a flying creature it's just yeah your your options are limited and 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 not very many even at the time it existed so trample was the next best thing yeah and 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 again trample is just one of those things where i didn't quite understand the value of it until i played a few more games and got hosed by the fact that my creatures didn't have trample i was able to get a lot of counters on them but if someone can just chump block the deck had no way to punish you for for doing that. So that's definitely one of those things where, again, you mentioned earlier how I would try to make it better. I would add Trample to this deck. All right, yeah, that's a pretty good start. Uh, You said that you had problems with uh, ways of protecting your creatures. Um, Was this necessarily because of targeted removal? Was it losing during combat? Well, again, I I did mention this a few minutes ago, but one, the concept of protection is difficult to get. We don't have a lot of artifacts, which again, green struggles with protection spells. It's not something that green really had a whole lot of, you know, circa early last year. So you're already dealing with a limited card pool to begin with. And then... I was trying to, I mean, it took me long, a long time to even understand what Shroud did. So, you know, Lightning Greaves, forget it. I, I barely understood how that card worked, and it was also 6 to $7 for a copy. So, obviously, the Greaves didn't go in there. So, with the Boots, I didn't understand, really, the value of Hexproof at the time. I, I, I was still learning. So, the Boots didn't really make a whole lot of sense to me to throw in there either, and they were, you know, 3 or 4 bucks themselves. And we did receive Mirror Shield and Theros Beyond Death, but again, I hadn't pulled one of those at a pre-release pack. So you start seeing how the few pieces of artifacts and equipment stuff, I suppose, out there at the time, I either didn't know about it or I didn't really understand how it could really be utilized. So you start seeing the pattern here that... Things were not getting protected the way they should have been because I didn't have a card draw engine. I didn't have any way to protect my things. And even though when I did get to combat, people would just chump block me or they would uh, remove one of my creatures from combat. So 
there were a lot of issues, a lot of feel bads during games, and it was definitely one of the one of those crux points where I started to realize how valuable protection was, not just interaction. So again, the things like heroic intervention, but just understanding how good Swiftfoot Boots is, for instance, how good it is to have things that give you hexproof. I know that there's a lot of instants out there now, you know, commons, five, ten cent cards that provide one creature hexproof or indestructible in green. Well, I didn't understand that, what that was valued at at the time. The you, It was just one of those learning experiences. And I think the part of the, the reason why I've started be, or why I started to learn to become more of a reactive player was because people kept removing my things in this specific deck. Is that I just kept running into these roadblocks, I had no way to deal with them, so the next thing you want to do as a player is then try to figure out how do I get around that Wrath of God? How do I get around the Swords to Plowshares? And that's when I started to learn to be a little bit more reactive with my deck building. I started to put that Hexproof Shroud into my decks. I started to play some pieces of protection for my stuff so that it wouldn't be so easily blown up. I started to utilize more of the... I started to utilize my my own deck building style, I suppose, to figure out exactly how much proactive stuff do I want, how much reactive stuff do I want. This deck that we're talking about today was all proactive. I put every egg in the basket of plus one, plus one counters. If it says plus one, plus one counter on it, it's and it's green, it's going in the deck. And I had no way to deal with my opponent's stuff at all. There was no interaction, none of that. So I I started to try to shift it a little bit to the other side of the pendulum, if that makes sense, so that I would ha- I would have some proactive, some reactive. This deck got basically thrown in the wood chipper because of that. But you know, again, if I wanted to build this again now, I would build this very differently. Well, if if we're talking about uh, as you are now with hindsight in mind. Uh, what would be the few things that you'd want to add to the deck to really make it work for you? Well, I would actually keep a lot of the same synergistic cards in there that were good. Obviously, things like Loyal Guardian. And for those who don't know, Loyal Guardian is a 4-4 Rhino out of C-18. Costs 4 and a green and has Trample, as well as the very interesting uh, keyword, Lieutenant. And that is, at the beginning of combat on your turn, if you control your commander, put a plus one, plus one counter on each creature you control. If you're playing kind of mid to lower power magic lag, I do a lot in my own play group. Loyal Guardian can get out of hand very quickly, especially if you're putting plus one, plus one counters on everything through other cards. So I was running things like Hardened Scales in this deck. That was one of the few cards I was willing to splurge on because I realized it had synergy. Obviously, I wasn't running things like doubling season because that's way that's over well, my price range. Man, that's so yeah. yeah. Even getting part, even getting part or a reduced version of that ability, uh, just gaining an additional plus one counter off of hardened scales goes a long way. It really does. And I just had a lot of creatures where you know you pay effectively for for a number of counters to go on there. I, I'm going to always use this example of stag beetle. Stag Beetle was a 0-0 insect out of the Onslaught set. So again, we're, we're going back all the way to 2002 here. And it's a 0-0 it's, yeah, insect for 3 green-green. I read Stag Beetle comes into play with X plus 1 plus 1 counters on it, where X is the number of other creatures in play. Again, a little bit risky, but if you can catch 3 other players playing a lot of creatures, Stag Beetle can get out of hand in a hurry. 
I was also playing just a lot of other things where they would have just X and a green, and you pay X, and that's how many plus one plus one counters your creatures got. So there was, again, some synergy, and Loyal Guardian was definitely one of the engines that would help get creatures on, or sorry, help get counters on my creatures, as well as Renata, obviously. The problem was trying to get them through. Loyal Guardian may have been the only creature I had in the entire deck that actually had Trample Staple to it. And again, I didn't have overrun effects in there, so you start seeing how I kept getting stopped in combat by people chump blocking. This is just one of those things that you learn over time, is that Trample is very good. If you're going to be playing Mono Green Stompy, you probably should be playing a lot of Tramplers in there, or ways to give your creatures Trample. I mean, and, like, yeah. <laughs> another card that I'm thinking of that kind of... It gives Trample and... It allows you to draw cards. Garrick's Uprising from Corset uh, 2021. I mean, you're going to be playing creatures that end up being bigger, and they might even have the four power necessary to trigger uh, Garrick's Uprising's ETB trigger, and also when they enter the battlefield later. And then it just has creatures you control of Trample. And that, in a mono-green deck, really helps out with with card draw, finding your next creature to help continue the fight. In case of a board wipe, a single creature can kind of help really get you back into the game. And and it and Renata loves having more green pips in play. But you just said that Core Twenty Twenty One wasn't out when I built the deck. So oh, oh, again, wait a you're right. Yeah. So again, that's one thing that when I had the deck, green didn't have access to that ability. I'm not even sure Return of the Wild Speaker was even a card at the time. It may have been, but if it was, I think, yeah, I think it, it was a little too I, ex expensive. At the I time. think it came out in Eldraine potentially, but yeah, it was so new that I'm not even really sure it was even available when I was originally building this deck. So again, when when I'm saying that there just really weren't a lot of good opportunities for card draw in green. I mean, there really were not that many great opportunities in mono green for drawing cards. A lot of what people have been talking about for green the last year, year and a half, about how good green is, it's because of the cards the last year and a half. Theros Beyond Death didn't necessarily provide that same ability. I mean, even just the, the new Nylea brought in some interesting pieces. Obviously, old school Nylea did allow all your creatures to have trample, but again, it was a $10 card. So you then look at something like Nylea's Forerunner, which is a 5-3 for a 4 and a green with Trample and other creatures you control have Trample. Again, from Theros Beyond Death. You start seeing the pattern here, is that things that either give your creatures Trample or, um, you know, helped you draw cards were either in Theros Beyond Death or afterwards, or were prohibitively expensive. So that's really the, the wall that I was running into when I was building this deck, whereas if I tried to build this deck now in the same position... You've got Garrick's Uprising. It's perfect. You have Nylea's Forerunner. These cards are more accessible now than they were then. And it, yeah, it, 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 it kind of pains me, I have to say that. It's just like now, with hindsight, that deck could have been so much better if we just, you know, had those pieces available. And I mean, even the, the niche picks that we even had, like, before that. Um, I mentioned Inspiring Call earlier, which... Even at the time, I, it, before it got reprinted and it was a little more widely available, it wasn't a uh, it wasn't a well known uh, card because yes, you get to draw a card for each creature you control with a plus one counter on it. Those creatures are in gain indestructible till end of turn. It it was super niche. People either didn't know about it or it was really often played and not really available in card shops. 
Um, and and the only other it, uh, the only other thing I could think that could draw cards was Armorcraft Judge from uh, Kaladesh block, where you it enters the battlefield and you draw a card for uh, each creature you control with a plus one counter on it. And again, it was one of those cards where if if it flies under your radar, you're not going to know about it, and you're you're not going to be able to play with it, fiddle around with it, and find out. It only kind of works in this niche deck where you're playing pl- with plus one counters. And the, yeah, that that was really the challenge of trying to figure out how to draw cards. And also, I didn't understand the power of card draw. So you start seeing how everything snowballed into making a very craptastic deck that didn't really meet my expectations. And that's why I tore it apart, was that it wasn't performing very well. I was just getting frustrated. There was no way to really be able to deal with Green's weaknesses because its strengths really weren't making up for that in a budget build, I suppose. And, you know, I just, I had other interests and moved on. So that's ultimately why this deck got torn apart at that time. Yeah, it's... uh, I find this uh, as uh, someone advocating for knowledge of uncommon commanders... For a lot of people, it's a way to depower uh, decks and builds in a way because of these more narrow and niche abilities that they bring to the table. But it's also really accessible for a lot of newer players uh, as as a learning tool, uh, learning the sort of ins and outs and limitations of a card like this before perhaps you, you get tired of it, uh, you find that you want something else uh, out of a deck or out of a commander, and perhaps moving on to a, a rare or mythic card that does similar things or or just radically changes uh, what your expectations are out of a commander game. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm thinking of ways that maybe coming back into it, still with a budget in mind, uh, of, a, of a few spells that might help shore up weaknesses uh, that maybe your past self had encountered, but now your future current self uh, might consider. Um, I think this card always slipped under the radar and it only, only gets mentioned a handful of times. As a protection spell, Wrap in Vigor. Uh, it's an instant that's a green and, and one. Uh, it just simply says, regenerate each creature you control. And maybe outside of a of a Damnation or a Wrath of God, you'll actually be able to keep your creatures in play just simply for two mana. Yeah, that that's definitely one of those things that's really nice to be able to have is regeneration. Unfortunately, it depends on what kind of board wipes your playgroup is running. My playgroup runs a lot of board wipes, and I'm, I'm not lying on this, a lot. And some of them don't allow you to regenerate your creatures either. So I've learned to never really be overly reliant on that, I suppose. Do they, do Whereas they heroic intervention is perfect for that because it ju- it just says indestructible. Period. Full stop. Yeah. Did I, I? It got me. It got me curious. Now, do they play a lot of? Is it just simply damnation, wrath of God, and negative X, negative X effects? Um. It's it's a mixture of all of the above. I suppose there are some wrath of God effects. We don't see damnation a lot, but we get a lot of. A lot of other very interesting board wipes. So we... A lot of Blasphemous Act. A lot of 
I, no one except no one except myself runs Toxic Deluge, fortunately. But that is a very expensive card. Um, run see a lot of things like uh, I, a lot of Austere Command. Um, I, I mean, I want to say I've I've had to run some Planar Cleansing type effects to keep things off the field. Just we run a whole lot of weird board wipes that ha usually have upside. Honestly, I don't even remember the last time we've just had a straight up board wipe. Usually we we prefer the modal spells. So again, we see a lot of austere commands, a lot of mass calcify, um, and that's the one that blows up all non-white creatures. Um, again, j just a whole slew of the like five plus CMC board wipes that give you some sort of benefit or some sort of choice on them. I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the mono black one for eight that allows you to draw cards oh, off of uh, it. Oh, de uh, Decree of... Uh, oh man, it's not Annihilation. That's the red one. Uh, oh, decree of Pain decree or something? Decree of Pain, <clears throat> yes. Yeah, yeah. That one, see a lot of that one... Um, uh, yeah, the, the Garrick one that blows up every nine mana in, for in, seven in black Garrick's black wake. that blows up yep. in Garrick's wake. Yeah, <laughs> see see that sometimes. So we just have a really weird board wipe heavy play group I and know. a lot of exiling effects. Too. I almost so, want to play in that in that play group because I, I know I've heard of too many people talking about super hyper efficient board wipes, and you guys are throwing out eight and nine mana. <laughs> oh yeah, we. <laughs> we love playing Battle Cruiser Magic. And, and and that's not to say that we don't have powerful games. Our games are grinded out slugfests where we're just sending blow after blow at each other. And I've learned to have to be very resourceful with my pieces. So I'm actually running a lot more protection spells in my deck than I think most people are. So a lot of things like blink, flicker, exiling effects to keep my stuff around, protection spells... I've I've had to learn to be proactive and extremely reactive. So again, in this kind of deck, things like uh, even Mortals Resolve, and this is a one or one in a green instant out of the original Theros block, and reads target creature gets plus one plus one and gains indestructible until end of turn. Even that right there, if you can protect even one piece on your side of the board, that's valuable. And that was definitely something I didn't really understand when I was first putting this deck together. There. I, I didn't understand Team or Sabretooth. That's another good piece. We oh, can protect your, you can protect multiple good, things. Such a good card. <clears throat> and yeah, the, and uh, withstand death as well is also another one that I have in my collection just for this reason. And that's just a green uh, instant. And target creature is indestructible this turn. Just it never. I found that it never hurts to have single protection and board white protection in my deck for that specific reason. So things like withstand death are great. For if I'm just trying to keep one creature on the board and I just have one mana up, it at least protects something if I get a board wipe. Whereas, obviously, Heroic Intervention, we want to make sure we have that in our hands if possible. But I don't run a lot of them because they're, they're still kind of expensive. So I do try to get around some of those issues by playing some of these single uh, single target protection spells. And Inspiring Call is, is good. I just don't really run any plus one, plus one counter decks anymore. So it's not as good as it used to be. No, it it definitely fits pretty much only within this niche of if if your if your commander synergizes with plus one counters in any way, then yes, it fits. But if it's outside of it, it it just kind of fizzles and isn't as effective as it needs to be. Sure. Um. Yeah, I mean, 
kind of upon reflection and and now that we kind of understand the nuance of playing not only a monocolor general and especially one that has its own set of weaknesses of being a uh an an enchantment creature um but also playing with like a very specific type of strategy of pumping up your creatures maybe proliferating uh but even then that that was pretty selective i think even around the time you made it just a lot of ways to go with it and a lot of cards that synergize with it uh, but you do need to back up the ways of protecting your creatures granting them some kind of evasion and maybe ha just holding back rather than unloading your whole hand yeah that learning how to improve my pace of play also makes a huge bit of difference too i've i i've I, i'm very much a battlecruiser player myself and being blown out by a Teferi's protection or uh, on the odd occasion, like uh, uh, someone flashing in, um, not a, I'm, yeah, like even flashing in a whelming wave or some type of temporary bounce effect that definitely sets me back. I have the resources back in my hand, but putting them back out as fast as I, de as I did or even trying to rebuild my board, uh, too much of a setback. A and then you're also stuck in in mono green's case you're not likely to have a a, a ready haste source mm -hmm. that is that is indeed a challenge and again you have to look for to artifacts for for that sort of thing and it just so happens that my playgroup runs a lot of artifact removal too so we run removal for everything so it it is a real challenge to try to make sure that i'm able to keep my board intact so I've had to get very, very creative sometimes, and other times with something like Mono Green, you just have to learn to let things go sometimes, too. I mean, luckily Green has a lot of ways to help recur your creatures, putting them back into your hand, uh, and on the odd occasion, uh, being able to save them with a withstand death or a heroic intervention. But one of Green's strengths is you can usually cast a pretty strong creature for cheap, with Renata, you can usually use your, make your cheap threats even stronger just by putting them into play. Uh, and I find uh, even even some of the more cheap, uh, cheaper common and uncommon uh, spells to kind of put you back in the game. Uh, stuff from um, uh, War of the Spark, uh, especially the ones that give proliferate, like uh, Bloom Hulk, Courage and, uh, Courage and Crisis, Evolution Sage. Uh, Paul and Bright Druid, uh, and even one of the newer spells, uh, Smell Fear from Modern Horizons 2, which proliferates and then has a creature you control fight up to one target creature you don't control. It allows you to quickly reset, put, and after a board wipe, or maybe even like a contested, uh, someone's attacking you with big creatures, you're kind of able to reset and create a, a reinvigorated board presence with pretty minimal mana investment it's it's really interesting that you bring up all those war of the spark cards because i know for a fact i was running all of those that you mentioned plus karn's bastion in that deck because again war of the spark was my first set so i had a lot of draft chaff sitting around and i knew proliferate was pretty good so i threw all those things in the deck so yeah that's it's just, it's just funny that you bring all of those up specifically just because i i know that they were in the deck and did 
things, I suppose. <laughs> but not enough to push, not enough to tip the balance of power in my favor. Oh, there is there is great difficulty in playing these types of decks, and uh, I I don't think I think thinking back on my first episode uh, working on uh, Captain Ripley Vance. I do realize talking about these deck techs and kind of things you want to consider these cards these uncommon legends usually aren't the most powerful uh, the powerful creatures you want running your decks and they will be slightly janky or very janky depending on how you build it and there's there is great satisfaction in gaining in winning even defeating uh, a single opponent um, but there's also great risk of having a strategy or even your deck kind of blow up in your face and it becoming unsatisfying. Yeah, and, and that was happening all the time with this deck, so I had to make the very difficult decision. I hate tearing decks apart, especially ones that I had sunk you know, some, some decent resources into. Again, I had that hardened scales in there because I knew it was so good in that deck. But I had to make the difficult decision to tear it apart because I didn't like where the where the deck was going. It felt very linear, didn't really have any of the pieces that I needed in there. Could I could I rebuild it now? Sure, no problem. I still have a lot of those pieces sent around. And yeah, I, I know a lot more now, but I, I don't know if I'm still interested in building around this commander necessarily. It just doesn't strike me as where I want to go with my decks these days. That's fair. Uh, what or is it necessarily... Uh... I guess is it like because of certain strategies available in different colors, you have a bit more of a budget available, the type of people you play with? Well, I think my deck building philosophy has changed where I don't necessarily like putting all my eggs in one basket. Also, I can blame some of my uh, friends I've made in the last year, year and a half, I suppose, or okay, maybe blames not the not the right word here, but um They've definitely influenced how I've decided to build decks, and I've started to try to come up with some more off-the-wall strategies, if that makes sense. And plus one, plus one counters. Again, you still have the biggest problem that you're still in mono green, and there aren't a ton of options available to you to keep your stuff safe outside of heroic intervention. So I feel like it's a very linear deck at, at the end of the day, and I'm not really sure if Renata's the best way that I want to take that, when there are other commanders that allow you access to multiple other colors that could probably do the same job probably better. But, you know, that being said, Renata is not exactly the most popular commander, so she definitely has that going for her. So I I don't know, I just haven't, haven't really felt inspired to rebuild that deck any time lately if there was a uncommon commander that had a similar effect but added 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 a color added something that piqued your interest was there one that you can think of off the top of your head um, honestly if i had just been running old school nylea i probably would have solved the whole problem fair so enough. I, I think that right there would have been the perfect deck for Renata to go in the 99 of, because Nylea, or at least old-school Nylea, gives all your other creatures trample. So that right there is exactly what I would have needed to make Renata work. So, again, since we were talking about how I would rebuild this deck, um, I do now have both Nyleas in my collection. I would throw both of them in there, just because they're that dang good. 
The old school one provides trample, allows you to be able to pump your creatures. The new one allows you to reduce the cost of your creatures by one, as well as put some creature cards in your hand, do some filtering off the top of your library. Things like that that you can just use to, to not only be able to deploy your resources more effectively, but then also be able to give them uh, give them the, the ability to just kind of go over the top there. That's why the, the new, um, new Kamal was so good, is that it's just it's an overrun on a stick. So, again, there's just pieces out there that weren't available at the time or were overly, prohibitively expensive at the time that are now in my collection I could easily throw in there and make Renata work far better than I did before. And you'd have a Renata that would look really pretty being the face of it. Oh, it it definitely is. I, I really love the showcase version. You know, nothing against uh, Chris Ron's version of, of this card because it's still really awesome, but the showcase version, it it's really good. I if, if your listeners haven't seen the showcase version of the Theros Beyond Death demigods, definitely they should check those out because that's some really beautiful art right there. And I believe there was a secret lair of all the Theros gods in a very similar constellation style that came out last year, too. So, you know, just very interesting art style, and it was always nice seeing that that card in the command zone, even if the deck wasn't much to write home about. Well, uh, MJ, thanks for coming on to the show and kind of giving your insight uh, on, on building your Renata deck in the past. Uh, where can people find you? Well, you can find me on Twitter at, at MTG in Quarantine. You can also find the entire podcast, the MTG in Quarantine podcast, on the usual on the usual podcast outlets, Google, Apple, Spotify, Player FM, CastBox, yada, yada, yada. There's too many mentions, so I won't really go into that. Effectively, I have a whole bunch of really interesting segments on my show, including the White and MTG is Good Actually series, which I know you've been listening to a lot lately, Cole, so I figured I would bring that up effectively trying to challenge some of the misconceptions people have about the color white and mono white specifically in Magic the Gathering and trying to dispel some of those myths to say that white is actually a really good color, just requires you to change your thoughts your th and your thought process on how to build those decks, as well as just a whole bunch of really cool other segments that I'm really excited about. So yeah, you can definitely find that. And again, it's the MTG in Quarantine podcast. And if you found the really happy looking Ulamog, with a pair of headphones, you found the right place. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening, and I'll talk to you on the next episode.